For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Let's start off with a word from our sponsor, Bet Online. Bet Online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Bet Online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds, and it's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website betonline.ag or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. And now, let's get to the show. Okay, welcome into this week's Believe in Wizards podcast. The streak is officially dead, but boy, was it fun while it lasted. Larry, uh, I'm sure you've heard the stat during the broadcast, but the last for the last eight game win streak for the Wizards was in 2001. So before Larry Hughes was a Wizard, was the last time we went on a winning streak this long. How crazy is that to think about? It, it is crazy. I mean, you know, there's been a lot of games played up until then. I mean, up, up until now, rather. And there have been a lot of, um, you know, catching teams on on bad streaks and being hot and your players being hot. That's, that's you know, that's a little odd that they haven't been able to string some games together. I'm, I'm curious, like, how many seven-game win streaks there must have been during that stretch. Uh, there had to have been, like, a bunch of, bit like, smaller chunks like that or something. Because I'm sure you guys rattled off a, a bunch in a row. I'm sure the Wall Beal teams of the mid, you know, 2010s uh, had a couple decent streaks like that. But that's got to be on the lower, you know, the longer stretch for for an NBA team without an eight-game win streak, I would imagine. Yeah, I mean, it it could be pretty tough. I mean, you, you, you know, you typically play those, you know, 11 games, 12 games, you know, in a month. And it's, you know, it's tough to go undefeated in a month. So, for sure. I mean, that could that could make a lot of sense, too. Like we said, the streak is officially over since our last recording. The team did go three and one. So, you know, we talked about sort of breaking these into manageable chunks and, and three and one is still a pretty good stretch. And you lose the second game of a back to back to a San Antonio team that they kind of needed that win to, to keep, you know, themselves moving in the right direction. So not totally surprising. Uh, I think Beal was the bright spot for, for a lot of the night last night. 45 points without hitting a single three and only needed five free throws to do that, and shot pretty well from the field. Zero turnovers. Uh, what would you see from Bradley last night that, that was impressive to you? Well, I think that's a note to the league. Is Obviously, it's built on shooting a three ball, but you know, guys can score points without you know, shooting a crazy amount of, of three-pointers, and also uh, guys can score that many points without you know, flopping and drawing a bunch of fouls and shooting a bunch of free throws. So I think it's encouraging to, you know, not only to the to the league, but also to the young people uh, that want to score a bunch of points is, you know, you don't always have to do it from the three ball. And, you know, to be efficient and to shoot twos, I mean, you only get one more point from shooting the ball from 30 as you would from, you know, from 15 feet. So I think it's uh, I think it's a great sign, you know, not only for for Brad is to score in different ways, but just to, the landscape of the game. It was kind of cool to see him and DeRozan both do it in sort of an, you know, I guess now it's become an old school way, you know, not not need a ton of threes to do it. Also last night, uh, Alex Len, 17 points, 10 rebounds in just 23 minutes. Rui Hachimura, 13 points on only seven shots, though, and, and he, you know, was hustling. And one of the few people that, that looked to try to play some defense last night, I think that was the biggest thing for me, Larry. We did not seem to be putting up very much resistance. Uh, obviously, the score sort of reflects that when you get into the 140s, even in an overtime game. But that sort of was a departure from from this win streak. You know, they'd played really good defense. Gafford sort of wasn't a factor last night. You know, maybe there's 
I doubt that's a coincidence that Gafford's in foul trouble and the Wizards defense looks back to how it looked, you know, in March. Well, I don't, I don't think that's a good sign. You know, you're fighting for a playoff spot to, mm. you know, to get into the 140s, you know, having 100 point, 140 point games. I think that's going to be tough. Uh, you know, in, in any setting to win a basketball game, you're scoring that many points. But when you're making a push for that playoff spot, it, it has to be gritty and grimy, maybe some low scoring games. I mean, maybe some some grinded out sort of situations. I think that that's that's a mentality that I would take, you know, especially in this last this last push. But teams are going to score. Uh, the, the league is built around scoring points. Uh, but you're right. The defense did take a step back uh, last night. And I think it's just a. a the, the nature of, of the game and how many games they play, you know, the streak that they've been on, you know, the emotional push that they've had, uh, the physical push that they've had. I think that all plays into a part. Yeah. If that's a one-off, you can kind of, I think, live with that one. If you're probably going to lose a game at some point and, and, you know, the back-to-back is a, is a tough one to get anyway, you know, as we've seen this year. Mm-hmm. So as long as that's not the trend, I'm, I'm not too worried. Uh, the, the thing that's been a little more worrisome to me, you know, you look quickly at the the box score and you might say Russell Westbrook had a good game, 22 points, 13 rebounds, 14 assists, but it was nine of 26 from the floor and had six turnovers. You know, the team's effective field goal percentage was in the mid fifties and Westbrook's was in the low thirties. It just, it's tough to win a game when your point guard has as many turnovers by himself as your entire opposing team. So they both had six last night. Uh, what, what did you see from Westbrook that, that seemed sort of off or, or I don't know. Did, did you think he had a good game or a bad game? I guess is probably the best way to put that Larry. You know, I didn't think he had a great game. I, I think as always with Russ, he goes out to compete mm-hmm. and sometimes he runs into challenges of, of, you know, getting his head over his skis. And I think last night that was the case. Um, he's obviously going to be a, a fireball on both ends of the court. And again, it, it takes a full team. It takes a coaching staff to have a conversation, have a, I like to say, you get upset, you, you like to go and count to 10. So like somebody sometimes just need to pull Russ to the side and say, you know, look, this is count to 10 and, and see if that kind of mm-hmm. slows him down a little bit. But he's always going to make mistakes in a, in a, a way that's aggression. He, like we said before, he's not, going out there, you know, it's not all about him when he's making these mistakes. He's making these mistakes to, to you know, try to will his team to win. And sometimes he he goes too far. And, you know, there's a balance there of, of willing your team to win and being, you know, the engine. So you don't want to take any of that away, right? But you want to manage that, you know, within the course of the game. You know, if you're struggling with the shot, you know, take a step back. If you're turning the ball over, make a pass earlier than making a pass late. I mean, those are all things that can help him out. And I thought he did that in the Cleveland game. Like, he didn't shoot particularly well, but it was on sort of a low volume, and, and he looked to kind of get more guys involved. It was just, I don't know, maybe that's the nature of the way last night played out or other guys weren't stepping up. But to your point, I think uh, a lot of these turnovers the last couple games have been, I don't know, let's say well-intentioned turnovers. Uh, he had at least three that I remember in the Cleveland game where he was trying to kind of force lobs to Gafford in, you know, in traffic. And I don't know, maybe that's just sort of like feeling guys out a little bit, understanding, you know, where they each need to be. But it wasn't like he was I don't know, totally out of control, I guess. So uh, I think you can live with that if, if he's trying to make a play. The, the other thing I thought was kind of interesting last night, Larry, we – We've seen a sudden resurgence from Anthony Gill. After not playing pretty much all year, he magically became a starter earlier this week and played a reasonable amount of minutes in the San Antonio game. Actually had a really good first half. He was 6-7 from from the floor overall, including one three-pointer, 13 points, three rebounds, a steal, and a block in just 14 minutes of play. Now, naturally, because Scott Brooks is going to Scott Brooks, he did not play at all in the second half for whatever reason after being reasonably effective in the first half. I personally didn't think Gill looked like much of an NBA caliber player in his, in his spot minutes, but you know, maybe they've seen something from him lately. Maybe he's gotten more comfortable because he, he looked reasonably confident out there in the first half last night. Well, I think fresh legs, mm-hmm. you know, coming in, obviously those guys have been carrying the water. Sure. Uh, so to insert someone in that's had fresh legs, have been seeing, how the team is playing and hopefully you put a guy in there like that, that could, you know, just kind of continue what's going on. 
And if he had fresh legs to start the game in the first half, he's probably going to have pretty good legs to play in the second half. I mean, that would just that would just make the most sense to me because, again, these guys have been carrying the load. They're going to need a little bit of a break, and they're going to need somebody to step in, and maybe it's for a half or, you know, maybe it's for a game. I mean, that's up to the coach's decision to make sure that the guys are getting their rest. But these guys that are on the bench should be hungry. And if they're going to give you that good effort in the first half, from everything that I've known and learned, I mean, you got to see what they can give you in the second half to to know what you have. And that's just, a, you know, just, just my mentality of knowing that basketball is a game of rhythm and it's a game of flow. So if a guy catches a rhythm, like you have to use that to your advantage uh, in, in all scenarios. And, and basketball is such a confidence game too. Like if a guy plays well, like, if you reward them by giving them more minutes, I got to imagine that's only going to help them from a confidence perspective, especially a guy that, you know, hasn't been out there much. You're saying like, Hey, I have faith in you to keep this going. And I don't know what that message is. If it's, Hey, you played pretty much as well as you could play in limited minutes. And that still wasn't good enough to keep you on the floor. Yeah. No, you, you, you quickly lose guys that way. And I think that if you, again, if you haven't communicated what the situation is going to be, then it, it gets, you know, obviously even more dicey there if, if the players don't know you know, they're coming in for that first half to spell those minutes to give somebody an extra eight minutes at the end of the game, you know, to be fresher. Just kind of going back to the streak overall here, over that, over the last 12 games, the Wizards are 10-2 and two when Daniel Gafford plays, and they've also been second in overall team defense during that stretch. For a team that's last in the league, uh, overall in, in terms of block shots. Uh, having Gafford come in, you know, in, especially in the Cleveland game, he had four steals and four blocks, like those kind of do-it-all stats that, that you need from your, your, your anchor there. Larry, how much does it change the makeup of a team or, or what an offense can do uh, against you when you have that sort of backline guy that they have to think about or have to sort of game plan around? Well, as as a teammate, you play harder because you know you have somebody back there that you can rely on. So, mm-hmm. you know, we like to say that you could, you know, you can make a mistake, you know, on defense or on offense. You can make one mistake, but it's tough to come back from two mistakes, right? Two consecutive mistakes. So, if it's a guy back there that's going to, you know, get deflections, you know, attempt to block shots, block shots, steal the basketball, then it gives you a little bit more comfort to you know, not necessarily take chances, but to be a little bit more aggressive because you know that you get one mistake and that guy's going to help you cover up uh, if there's going to be a second mistake. So I think that that's, that's good for, you know, for, for their team. And, you know, for your opponents, I mean, just knowing a guy that's going to be, you know, around the basket to protect the basket, to alter shots. Uh, if you said basketball is about confidence. So if you are driving the ball and you have to look over your shoulder or, you know, take a peek uh, for this guy or for that guy, it makes it, a tougher job. So I think that that's what he's doing, you know, for, for his team is making the, you know, making his opponents really oh, be aware of where he's at. And I think that that's a, a positive for the team. Is that just sort of like uh, for the opposing team, is that like an individual mindset or do teams sort of game plan specifically, is the game plan specifically tailored to who's sort of out on the floor like hey if Lopez is out there we're going to attack this way versus if Gafford is out there we're going to attack this way yes yes completely I mean completely you want both of those guys out on the floor uh one because with Lopez he takes up so so much space in the paint so you want to get him out in space and Gafford obviously because he can protect the rim but you want to move those guys around so they're the furthest um you know, person away from, from your help side, right? Mm-hmm. So if you decide to drive to the basket, they're not the next person that's going to come over and be the help guy. So you're running those plays to get those guys in certain positions as you're running your offense to, you know, execute your plays as well. Uh, the Wizards are 20 and 11 over the last 31 games that Bradley Beal has played. And and there was some talk early in the year about, you know, when they're struggling, is he a good stats, bad team kind of guy? And I think that, I mean, obviously there's more context to that, who else played, whatever, but if you take that winning percentage and stretch it over the course of a season, I mean, that I think that shows that Bradley Beal can, can largely carry a playoff caliber team. It's just whatever reason, that first month of the year, they, they couldn't seem to get much traction. Uh, what do you think about Beal 
being able to be sort of that franchise player Larry? Like, is it, does he need a, a Westbrook to help him carry it? Like what, what's, where's sort of Beal in the, the pantheon, I guess, of, of NBA players? Well, I think he's going to need to um, add and have the ability to make plays in his pocket. So he's going to have to, he's going to need players around him that he's comfortable with that he's able to make plays mm. um, guys with good hands, because he's, he's going to you know, make a, a bunch of the plays and, and Brad tends to pass the ball late. So you're going to need somebody with, with really good hands to obviously finish around the, the bucket. And anytime Brad passes you the ball, he's going to want you to finish because if you don't finish, then he felt he could have finished. Right. So, I, but I think he can be, you know, that guy that leads a franchise. I mean, all of these guys need help, right? I mean, they got two, three, four guys on one team that they're all quote unquote, you know, the franchise players. So I think the day of having that one face of the franchise is, is pretty much gone. Mm-hmm. So when you're out recruiting and you're out talking about your plan and your vision, you know, if I'm Brad, I'm thinking about not what I can do, you know, solely what I can do, because I know, you know, I know I'm the goods. I know I have game. Uh, it's about who can I bring with me at this point? And I know these guys have these same with Dame Lillard in Portland and obviously Brad in, in Washington of, Hey, we're going to do it here. We're going to do it my way. But yes, like Dame, like Brad, those guys would quote unquote be the, the face of the franchise, but they need a bunch of help. Yeah. So I would much rather sacrifice my face being the face of the franchise and have a team, you know, a group, a few guys sure. that can help me go out and accomplish my mission. And I think that's what Brad needs. But I think he's fine with um, with his role, with his stature in the league of of now getting guys that can help him accomplish his goals because he can't accomplish those goals on his own. Tommy Shepard, after being AWOL from a public perspective for most of the season, made an appearance on the Ryan Rosillo podcast this week and, you know, talked about how Beal is that guy and they built the team in his image because they just knew he was sort of like, you know, he, he needed to be the guy now. And and that's sort of why I asked that question because one, it's funny to me that you don't hear from Shepard all year and magically they win eight games in a row. And all of a sudden he's doing like, you know, uh, nationally, you know, relevant podcasts to me, that's sort of a weak flex personally, but, uh, some of his comments were interesting because it was very, you know, Brad is the man, but also when we heard Westbrook was available, he was one of those guys we had to go out and get because he's also the man. So, you know, when you say the man, it just makes me think like that's sort of the guy. Um, but I, I, like you said, I guess you need two of the guys at this point in the NBA. Yeah, you do. And, and, and almost, you know, two and a half the guys. I mean, it, yeah. it's getting to the point where if you don't have the guys on your team, you're just going to go through the regular season. And, you know, that's pretty much it. I mean, you're going to sniff your your playoffs of your first round. And if you don't have two and a half guys, then, you know, you'll be sitting home with everybody else, you know, after the first four weeks of the season is over. Am I wrong, though, on the the Shepherd thing suddenly showing up in the public is kind of like a weird, I don't know, weird coincidental timing? Like you, you weren't available to major media until suddenly the team is now looking like it's a playoff team. And that would just sort of like, I don't know, send a weird message to me as a player, too, I feel like I just... Like, where have you been? You know, you could have been out publicly defending us while we were trying to battle through all this shit. And now all of a sudden you're like running out to do podcasts. All of a sudden, like we're on a hot streak. Yeah, no, I think that that's, um, you know, that, that's part of the world that we live in. That's, that's part of the the, the, the media um, support that a lot of people need to, you know, to survive, to have that, yeah. you know, that comfort of of the support of the media. And I would hope that, you know, Shep is, is in there with his guys, right? I, I hope that he was, you know, you know, giving them pep talks and making sure that they were comfortable and, and just was disappeared from the media and not from, from the you know, team. the yeah. situation of the team because they were struggling. Um, so I would hope that that would be the case. And again, I think that those guys know that at the end of the day, they're going to get the blame. I mean, we can, you can talk about the front office, you can talk about the coaching staff, but at the end of the day, it all falls 
you know, on the players because those are the guys that if they didn't produce, they won't be back next year. And if they didn't produce and they're signed, they won't play a lot next year. So it's uh, it's completely, you know, you, you talk about those situations, the front office guys jumping in and out. You would hope that it's just kind of a, a media sort of presence deal and not that they've been MIA from, mm. you know, the bunker. Yeah, that would be an especially bad look, I think. So you, you got to be in the bunker. You got you, you have to be in the bunker with us. I mean, whatever the case is, you must be in the bunker with us. And there's this has been sort of this trend this year where like Ted Leonsis does not mention the Wizards until they've like the only two times he's like really like flexed on Twitter have been after both of their sort of win streaks. So it's just like okay, like there's no mention of the team when they've like lost five of the last seven, but. They win five in a row, and it's like, I told you we had a great team. You know, like, I don't know. It just seems kind of kind of amateur hour. Yeah, uh, no, I, I put that out there. I, I was curious to that because, you know, like a lot of trainers, you know, skill developers or what have you, right, when they have players that are struggling, you don't see mm-hmm. the keep going, the, you know, this guy is this guy sort of comments. I know that you want to reward a guy when, when they're playing well or with a team when they're playing well. But that's the same sort of scenario. Like if you have a team that's your team, like it's okay to shout them out even though they're not playing well. Like that may give them some encouragement to go and play well. But I just made that comment on, I think it was maybe social media or Twitter or something, um, just making sure that these trainers, when their guys are doing, you know, not playing so well, make sure they shout them out because they damn sure will run to the, you know, run to the internet when they're, when they're doing something well. Yeah, I, I think that's a, honestly like a really great point. Like, how about show the workout video of all the work they put in over the summer when they hit a cold streak and be like, hey, you know, yeah. this guy put in the work. It's just this is the nature of the game. Yeah. To your point, it's only when uh, that player wins like conference player of the month or the week or whatever do you do you see all the tweets show up. Pretty funny. Uh, but but talking about the sort of vibes with the team in general, and, and I do give Tommy Shepard a, a good amount of credit for this. When Gafford was talking after the Cleveland game the other night, he said, it's just been really nice to be a part of a team that seems like one big happy family. And all of the guys like absolutely welcomed him with open arms and just talked about just sort of like the atmosphere and, and how like guys are connected and they communicate. And I, that's just all good stuff. You want to come in and hear like, you know, they, if you're Alex Len, like you could have been territorial about Gafford coming in and taking your minutes or whatever, but it just seems like that's not, the vibe with this team? Well, I think they know the position that they were in and, you know, they saw the landscape that was going around in the league of, you know, the COVID protocols and the injuries that are happening. So I think the the more valuable bodies that you can acquire, um, that's going to give you uh, support during these games and these quick stretches of of turnarounds or back-to-backs or, you know, four and five nights. Um, Yes, as a player, we want to play, but we also understand that, you need support. Like when your body is tired, it's good to have someone that can step in and do, if not the job that you do, they can do it a little bit better in some ways. I think that that's a, a good, you know, support of a team. And, and Scott Brooks said uh, the same media availability that just having a good group of guys has made it easier to keep spirits up for this team. You know, when they were 15 games under 500 or whatever, just knowing the sort of character guys they had in the locker room, he said it made that a lot easier to coach, especially this year that's been uh, the most mentally tough of his career, just with all the COVID stuff. Yeah. Did you ever have a team where, you know, like you were winning games, but, and you don't have to call the team out specifically if you don't want, but where like you guys were winning games, but the vibe wasn't very good in the locker room? Um, yeah, I think a, f- a few situations. I think in Cleveland, um, there were stretches where we were winning games, where we were trying to find our identity. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was obviously Brian coming in and, um, you know, really understanding how he was going to play the NBA game, understanding what sort of sets were going to be the best for him. Uh, because when he came in into Cleveland and Mike Brown came into Cleveland, it basically brought all of San Antonio's mm-hmm. sets and things that they were running, you know, to Cleveland. So, we all had to figure out how that would mesh and how that would work with, with what we were doing and the individual individual players that we had, we had players that were different than San Antonio's players. Mm-hmm. So it's just a matter of just really understanding, you know, how, how all the, the pieces fit together. And that's not saying that you are, 
you know, you're not happy that you're, you know, that you're winning, that you're, you're winning games. You're, you're, you know, you have the one to, to win games. You just want to figure out how you fit into, you know, your ability for your team to win games. So I would say Cleveland was one of those times just trying to figure out how do you best affect the game in order to, to win and to continue to win because you know in long NBA season, uh, winning streaks are going to come and go. So there's going to be bad times when you're going to have to be consistent and execute on you know, a lot of those winning um, principles when you're losing games. So it's really just finding your, you know, your rhythm. Um, and that's what I, I dealt with in Cleveland is really finding my understanding the rhythm of how we were going to win games on a consistent basis. And then the other one would probably be, um, you know, when you're on a bad team and you're not winning and just how the vibe, can never change because of the people that are in the gym. So I played in Golden State. We were winning maybe one or two games a month. I mean, I, there were there was a couple months we didn't win any basketball games. But Danny Fortson was a guy, uh, when we were losing, like, he felt it to his core. Like, it was just a miserable day, time. Like, everything was revolved around us winning or losing. So when you have, like, certain, you know, personalities like that, when you're losing, it could be ultra tough because you know, you know, how these guys feel about, you know, feel about losing games. It just brings the, brings the, it can bring the group down. I think as fans, when we don't sort of have that behind the scenes of what it's like in the locker room, we just sort of simplify to when you're winning, you know, clearly you've got a good vibe locker room and, and when you're losing, it's probably bad, but you know, I think that's sort of not usually, not always the case at the very least. Like you, you can be on a good team where everything's not going well, or uh, you can be on a bad team where, where guys are sticking together and getting along and, you know, they're trying to work through it. Yeah, that's definitely, that's definitely a, a, a balance there, right? It's, it's a professional deal. And then you have, you know, sometimes you're on a team and you have guys that are on one-year deals or maybe on 10 days. And you winning a bunch of games may not affect them as much because maybe they're not playing as much. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it kind of affects their career, right? I mean, even, even though the team is winning, this particular player is not getting the chance to either showcase and not do more. So that could you know, affect how they think about you know, winning and losing as well. That's a perfect segue into 10-day player Jordan Bell. Uh, the Wizards are not going to extend his 10-day situation. Uh, which is which is a bummer for Jordan, but they they've also said that that they like him and they intend to bring him back at some point, but they're they're just not keeping him for right now. That seems kind of weird to me. I mean, I guess Jordan Bell, like any call up, is a good call up, but it's like the third time he's sort of been yo-yoed around with with the team, and I'm curious, like, what a player like him does, you know. Does he just now he heads back home and, and waits for the call again for a follow-up 10-day? Like, it just seems like that would be a very sort of tough situation. And I, I guess that's just sort of, you know, the nature of the game to some extent. Yeah, that, that's the nature of it. You know, that's the nature of it. I think that that's – he's shown that he can be a good teammate. He's shown that he can play in the league, you know, in spurts with uh, playing with the Warriors. He's shown that he can be a good teammate with being ready, prepared to – you know, to, to step in a situation where he, he doesn't know, um, you know, if he'll get the opportunity. He's also shown that if one of his teammates goes down, he'll be the first one to, to step up and support them and be right there, even though he's been there for uh, a, a short period of time. So he's displayed all of the, um, you know, all of this, the, the, the essential parts that he's going to need to be successful in this league. I think he just needs to stick with it, uh, stay around and get on a situation where um, he's not, being pulled back and forth, right? I mean, they can say that they love him all that they want, but the only the only way that they show show them that he's loved is, is to sign him to yeah. some sort of contract that's going to give him some stability where he can really show his value. So, don't give me the "I love this this kid," you know, talk and keep going back and forth. I think I would like to see him get in a place where he could lock in at least a one year deal and and show his value and, and get a chance. Because from all I've seen, he seems to be a good kid. Yeah, maybe that'd be easier too in like a normal year where you had a G League team right down the street and you could say like he's practicing with us, you know, X amount of days or, or, or whatever to kind of make that a little more obvious that you do like him and want him around. It's just a sort of a numbers thing. Uh, so I don't know, maybe we'll come, 
a little bit of a break. But but I'm with you. I think you know he is kind of an undersized center, but he plays hard. He plays tough. He's add some athleticism there, and like I said, he does all the character stuff you want. I wouldn't mind seeing him you know, on a minimum deal next year or, or whatever the, the case may be. And that's a, another good uh, segue. You, you mentioned him running out on the court, the uh, first one out there to sort of console or, or check in on yeah. Denny Avdia. So that's sort of the lone piece of major bad news over the last uh, last couple of weeks. Denny Avdia will miss the rest of the season uh, with a fracture in his lower leg. What did you see from Denny overall this year, Larry? Like if you had to summarize what you thought of him as a player well I, I think I want to start with just watching him in that game watching him in that game it looked like he had tired legs mm-hmm. um, and this is obviously a question that you would have to ask Denny you know how he felt you know that game but it seemed to me that he didn't have a you know his explosiveness there uh, it seemed to me like he was you know trying to quick shoot a few things around the basket and for me you know being in that space I think that that's a that's a recipe for an injury to happen and not saying that I saw this coming, but I was kind of watching him kind of explode. He got a few shots blocked mm-hmm. and I just was thinking that didn't he, he didn't have his legs. And then a couple plays later, he still doesn't really have his legs and kind of fumbles around and he, and he gets hurt. So you kind of contribute that to a lot of obviously the, the compact season and just watching guys and how they move. Um, when you're not feeling great, it's, it's, you're really open to, to, to get injured. You know, so I will like to just say that uh, to, to start out. And I think, you know, just overall, I think Denny was, was learning. I think his strength is going to be the ability to play in open space, um, to read what the defense is doing, and obviously be a, a guy that can knock down shots. I think he will be able to add uh, his drive to the basket. I think he'll get stronger. Um, I think he'll, you know, settle in, have a nice full year on his belt where he could, you know, be really ready to make shots and take shots. Mm-hmm. And that'll give him some opportunities to now make some play, plays driving to the basket because teams will have to close out a little bit harder uh, on Denny uh, next year, I believe. And just on the, on the defensive side, I think he has work to do. I think having a year under his belt to get a chance to experience some of the players that are coming at him, some of the concepts that, you know, they wanted to run on defense. Um, and I think that that's where his growth is going to come. Is, is on the defensive end and not saying that you have to be a stopper, but be a better uh, team defender and stay out of foul trouble. How real is the rookie wall? Like you always hear about that in the media and, and you also had sort of a weird jam packed rookie season. Like, like how much is that a factor um, in, in maybe those tired legs? Um, not much, not much. I think that he was a professional before he became a professional uh, in the States. So I think that he was, somewhat prepared, you know, for the the physical nature of the game. He's going to, you know, obviously play against different sort of competition, a more more physical game where where he's coming from. So I think he was prepared, uh, but there's a lot of things that were thrown at them, you know, with COVID protocols and waking up early in the morning and not having practice time. That's going to make it a crazy, you know, rookie season. And I think, you know, one that obviously everybody can look back on. But I think he, you know, I don't think he necessarily hit the rookie wall. I just think that with so much stuff going on and the things that mm-hmm. went on into the game, it just, it was just, a, you know, a product of, you know, this year's season. I think um, his sort of early success almost like hurt expectations, you know, to some extent, like he was projected to be a project. Like this is a guy that that needs some time to develop and the shot is a work in progress. You know, he'd obviously made some strides at the end of his, his last season in the Israeli league, but, you know, he came in and he knocked down a high percentage right away and it was, oh shit, like Denny is ready to produce. He's ready to, you know, to contribute. And and that definitely sort of tailed off as the season went on. And now it's a, oh, is he a bust? And it's like, well, you know, if he just started off this way and trended better, would you still think he was a bust? So it just, I don't know. I think that almost sort of worked to his detriment to some extent. Yeah, and I think it's just the nature of the team that he's on, right? He's going to have to grow into his offensive abilities. Like, he's not going to get every every chance to, you know, make mistakes, you know, take and make shots. I mean, that's Brad's role. That's Westbrook's role. So his role on the team is is really to figure it out and to, and to be a plug, really be a utility guy at this point. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, from the start, I, I saw him shooting a good ball. I mean, I didn't have any issues with 
um, you know, how he shot the ball or shot mechanics or if he was, if he was going to be able to make and take shots. Mm. Uh, from day one, I saw him shooting a good ball uh, with good pace, good rhythm. Uh, so I just think that he's going to have to figure out how he fits into this role and, you know, just making sure fans are managing their expectations of what, you know, Denny is supposed to do. I mean, they're not, you know, looking for Denny. I mean, Brad's not looking for Denny to score a bunch of points. Wes is not looking for Denny to score a bunch of points. They want him to be, um, you know, fill in the blanks. And I think that he can do that and he can grow into more of a defined role as he understands the NBA game more. Yeah, the Ringer did this statistical breakdown of, of all of the, I think all the first round picks this year, I want to say, and they did offensive sort of comparisons for, for each of the rookies from this class. And Denny's five closest statistical comps were Kenrich Williams, Chris Singleton, Grant Williams, Omari Spellman, uh, and who's the last one? Uh, Darius Baisley. Not exactly sort of the most inspiring group. Um, like a couple solid guys there, but I just think it's so hard to really draw much from the rookie year that he had. Again, weird year. Like you said, he's he's on a team with two very high usage guys, and he had a 12% usage rate which ranks in the third percentile of rookies this century. So that's, that's really, really low. And it was the last among all rookies uh, this season that actually played, you know, reasonable minutes. So it's just hard when, you know, you're not really getting a lot of opportunities to be efficient, I think. And, you know, he, he hit 30% of his, 33% of his threes and only 64% of his free throws. But I think a lot, of, like you said, the shot looked good a lot of the time. I think there's a lot of more positive signs there than there were negatives. Like, I don't know that I would project that he's going to be an all-star someday, but if he could be a really good sixth, seventh man for this team for the next couple of years, I think that's a pretty good pickup. Yeah. I think it's just way, I mean, a lot of, obviously these, these programs and platforms do things for, you know, for information purposes, but you know, if I'm Denny and, but if I'm a player, I'm not looking too much into, you know, those stats or those comparisons. And I, and I hope that, the organization wouldn't look into those stats, you know, and those comparisons and put any weight to it as well uh, because everybody's situation is different. And when we do comparisons, I mean, you just have to, and I advise the player just to look at the totality of the situation and not, you know, just the individual player name and kind of pull a player name out, out mm-hmm. of a team. Because again, you talk about usage rate. So I, I like Denny. I think that that's the, the pick that the Wizards chose. I think he was a good pick. Um, could they, in hindsight, could they have done something different? I think they would say probably yes. But at the same time, you have this guy in your in your stable now, and you have to groom him. You have to grow him. You have to develop him into, you know, what's going to be best for your team. And there's a strategy to that, like we've talked about for, for the entire year, of how each guy is going to be used. And he may be used differently in a different organization, a different team. But for this situation, you have to really give him his principles and what he's going to be looked at to do. And it's probably not going to be a 20-point score. Uh, you know, it's probably not going to be a 15-point score. Uh, Denny's going to have to be the guy that's going to, you know, knock down shots, space the floor, uh, and, you know, make that next pass, you know, as the Wizards continue to get better. And that's what I see his role is. Is that a number nine pick? I mean, he can do it at a high level. He can be efficient doing it. So, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, secondary creator off the bench, you know, can can rebound, play bigger guys, can guard on the perimeter some. Like you said, do a little bit of everything for them. I, I think that's sort of the the hopeful blueprint longer term. The team has come out and said that they don't intend to add a small forward to fill the void left by, by Avdia's injury, uh, but should they? I think they should. I think the small forward is a position in the NBA – that is very important. And just because you don't have a name doesn't mean you don't have a game. Yeah. So I think that they need to get out there <laughs> and they need to find guys that are in that position, you know, that play that position that may not have a name and, you know, covet those guys. I think those guys are very important to have in your stable because they're, you know, the quote unquote three and D guys. Uh, but these guys that are at the small four position should and will have the ability to switch and play defense against, you know, one through four. And again, I think that that's a valuable tool to have in your box, uh, having versatile players at that small forward spot that can toggle between, you know, small forward and power forward. I think that's very important. 
Just looking at the the guys likely to get the the benefit of those minutes. Obviously, we've seen Anthony Gill now sort of insert inserted in the rotation. Uh, Isak Bonga probably gets some more minutes. Garrison Matthews probably gets some more minutes. Maybe maybe Chandler Hutchinson gets some minutes again. You know, those guys all have certain things that they bring to the table, but just having like a veteran guy or or even just another young guy, somebody that you could give a look to. Uh, I, I threw a couple names out the other week to to varying degrees of of reception from from the fan base, but you know, like a Damari Carroll or somebody sitting at home, and he could play a little three, a little four. You know, he hits about you know high thirty percent of his threes. He's been in the playoffs. Like he's a big body that you could put on a even a Kevin Durant for some minutes. You know, he's played on a team with Durant, so he would know how to sort of match up with him a little bit. Like I don't know, I, I would just be looking to add someone even if you wanted to go young like the kid Caleb Holmesley that that came out of Liberty that played in training camp with them played for the G League team you know just somebody that you could give uh sort of a an opportunity to or at least to let them practice with your team and see if they could be worth it longer term yeah I I think you never stop working and that's where the where the, the the Jordan pickup comes in I mean you know what this guy brings to the table and you probably know that you're not going to play him so, you know, why not bring in one of those guys, right? One of those names and get a, get a fresh look at them to see if they can help you, right? You, you know what you're bringing in and you know that, that he may not have the, the chance to play, right? Because he's an undersized big or so you have to bring in a fresh body to see how they react in the situation. You don't continue to bring in old face knowing that they're not going to get a chance to to help the situation now. So that's where I, you know, I, th- I think bringing in fresh blood is, is definitely could be a positive for them, especially moving forward. Yeah, I like it. I mean, there, there are so many guys this year that have stepped up out of the G league and been contributor, you know, contributors to, to their teams like, uh, you know, uh, Najee Marshall out of Xavier that stepped up and played some real minutes for the Pelicans recently. Like that was a guy that was just, sort of hanging in the, you know, hanging after the G League season, waiting for, waiting for a look and, and has been able to produce. So there's guys out there, so like you said, just because you don't have a name doesn't mean you don't have a game like that. That I don't know. I would love to see Tommy Shepard, like bring in a, a surprising name or somebody that, that they can kind of give a look to. Lear, just one last thing before I get you out of here. We had fans back in the building this week. Uh, what did you think about that? Did you notice any difference? Uh, I, I was sort of trying to decipher like what was still fake crowd noise versus real crowd noise and couldn't really tell the difference. Um, I guess what, what were your thoughts on having fans back? I, th- I think it makes the players smile more. You know, I really do. I think it gives them, you know, enthusiasm to go out and, and compete and to play when they have, you know, obviously they have a few of their family members that can, you know, come to the games now, but just to see fans in general, you know, these guys have been going back and forth on Twitter and social media with, you know, with fans and, and using that that platform, or just to see their smiles when they, you know, make plays now and they can look at the fans, look in the stands and, you know, give the double hand wave to give them more energy, even though there's like 1,500 people, 2,000 people in there, but it's, it's their joy uh, because, man, you know, playing professionally, obviously, there's a lot of hard work that goes into it, and the reward is the fans. The reward is to see fans smile and to see them cheer for you, to know that you know all the work that you've put in, you know, they're enjoying it because we go out there to put on a show and to see fans now, you know, in the building. I'm sure the players are. are I've obviously never played in an NBA game without fans, so you know, my skew, my view is that you know, there's nothing like you know having fans in the building uh, for that for that energy and watching games on TV now you can see I mean I just see a little bit more joy on their face uh, when they're when they're competing now uh, I, I saw you retweeted this a couple of days ago but a fan tagged you on Twitter and said that he had been trash talking you like with you during a game uh, in Utah or, or you know during a jazz game and he said you were on fire and you were drawn with him the whole time and then were nice enough to come up and talk to him after the game and I, I guess sign some stuff and uh, give him a couple minutes but can you talk a little bit about like what that experience is like when you kind of get into it with the crowd and it doesn't have to be in like a negative way, but just, you know, there's, there's that sort of uh, back and forth a little bit. Yeah. I don't think I've, I've never had a, a negative, 
Now, there's been heated kind of trash talking in commerce, but there's never never been like a, a negative, you know, vibe between uh, me and a fan. It was always about this is what I do. Sit down, you know, <laughs> watch what I do. I've been putting in a lot of work, so now you can watch what I do. Sort of, sort of situations, but it's fun to, to compete and to go. Uh, I always had conversations with the fans. I always, you know, that was motivation for me. You know, I grew up playing, you know, on the blacktop, so it was about the trash talk. It was about the, you know, hey, sit back and watch me, you know, do what I do, sort of deal. And the fans love it. I mean, the, the fans love it. Those the the ones that root for their team that are, you know, really respectful, um, you know, tell you how bad you are because they want your team to, to be bad so their team can win. Those are the fans that you can go back and forth with because it's not a situation where they, they just don't like you as a person. They just want your game to be so bad that your team wins and their team, I mean, excuse me, your team loses and their team wins. So for me, I always have fun going back and forth, jawing with the fans. Utah was always the place where they were on top of you. It's one of the best venues to play in in the NBA, how the arena is set up and, you know, kind of that bowl mentality where the fans are kind of, you know, almost on top of you, you know, in, in a sense. That was always a place where I had my back and forth. Had a game winner, had a walk-off game winner uh, against Utah. So that was always one of my favorite places to play to. Any arenas out there where just like it was sort of always kind of a dead atmosphere where like you just you never really had that same level of energy? Uh, Memphis. Uh, M- M- Memphis is, is, is one that, you know, I, I love Bill Street and I'm obviously from St. Louis. So I always had a bunch of relatives and fan, you know, friends, you know, in Memphis to come watch me play. But the vibe was was never like um, Chicago too. Chicago is, is, is one of those kind of big, nice arenas, but obviously once the, the the bulls you know the the real bulls left the building sure. the, the the gym was was kind of was kind of dead so chicago and memphis were probably the, the down spaces mm-hmm. uh the live arenas was you know atlanta you know new york atlanta was was live you know second half because everybody had things to do you know during the first half and wouldn't get there to the second half so it was <laughs> it was really live in the second half uh, new york a uh, great atmosphere uh, one of the tops to play in, uh, and then Golden State. Golden State has always been one of the top arenas, whether the team is good or bad. When I was, I mean, that's one of my biggest fan bases that I have today, and we didn't win hardly any games, but we played hard. They came out to support us, but that's one of the greatest fan bases that we have in the NBA, and their their arena is is always crazy. This seems like multiple seasons ago now, but remember, I I guess, two years ago when that sort of, um, you know, that plucky Clippers team uh, had that huge late comeback against Golden State and Durant's last year there, you know, it was like one of the biggest playoff comebacks of all time. That that was the only game I ever attended in Oracle Arena, and it was like their third to last game they ever played there. That place was ridiculous. Like, they were blowing a game they expected to blow the, you know, the Clippers out. And it was just sort of falling apart. And like watching these people, like, I don't know. I mean, I've been to a lot of Wizards playoff games too, but uh, I don't feel like we were, we were living and, and dying with it as much as those guys were, even on a team that had already had multiple titles. Yeah, no, they're, they're locked in, man. They're, they're, they're locked in. It's one of the, they're, they're one of the top, you know, fan bases in the, in the game, multiple, all sports, you know, Baseball, football, I mean basketball. They're they're one of the top uh, fan bases. It's shameless to see that you know those guys move over to to San Fran, but you know Oakland was definitely one of the one of those one of those arenas. I went to one game at the Chase Center, and it is beautiful, but it was also while they weren't very good and Steph didn't play, so I'll preface it with that. But the place was half full. The people were there. You know they were they were there just to like sort of hang out. Uh, it was sort of less of like a you know, live or breathe basketball crowd. Um, so, so yeah, that's, that's definitely a bummer. Hopefully as they start to get their game back and stuff like that, maybe it, it picks up and the new arena takes off a little bit. Uh, all right, Larry, I know you're a movie guy. The Oscars were two nights ago, two questions for you. Did you like any of these sort of Oscar contender movies? Was there a favorite of yours? And then if there was an Oscar for best sports movie of all time, or could be more specifically best basketball movie of all time, uh, what's, what's your pick? 
Oh man, an Oscar for the best basketball movie. You know what? I don't know why this one just popped in my head, but the air up there. <laughs> there you go. Just, I mean, I, <laughs> that was one of those old old movies uh, that I would watch like every time it, it came on. Yeah. So you know, I, I I go back for the for one of the old ones, the air up there. I love it. That's funny. I, I actually was looking uh, the other day to see if that was on streaming anywhere because that was like probably yeah. one of the few basketball movies I hadn't seen in a really long time. Yeah, that's it. That's that's a good one. That that's really funny. How about any of the the movies from this Oscar round? Anything you liked or didn't like from sort of this year or thought should have gotten more love? No, you know what, Matt. I'll be honest with you. I didn't watch it at at all. Um, I've been on this world tour, my son, with his basketball stuff. So I, I've, been, I've been locked into to everything basketball, man. I got you. Well, I, I will save you a, a two hours here. The movie <laughs> that won Best Oscar, Nomadland. I do not understand uh, the appeal there, Larry. Uh, just if, if you're not familiar with the premise, give that a Google later. It, it was just like two hours of just being very, very depressed. So uh i don't i watch enough uh bad sports teams i don't need two more hours of of uh you know something to to keep me down yeah man those oscars usually take me to some different places that i haven't gone before so i i, I tend to google afterwards yeah very cool uh, same here uh all right folks hopefully uh we get some more wins to talk about in the next week looks like uh lebron might be making his return uh in the lakers wizards game on wednesday night they play the Cavaliers Friday and the Mavericks on Saturday. So a couple challenging games in there. Uh, you know, this will be a real test for them to see if they can they can shake off that San Antonio game. Yeah, no, it, it's good, man. It's good to see those guys, uh, you know, string together some wins, uh, make the, the playoff push. And I think that, you know, we talked about having those eight and two sort of streaks that go on those 10 games and mm-hmm. they put them, themselves in a great position to, to be in the playing situation. So the, the guys have a lot to be proud of and, and hopefully they get it done. Love it. Everybody rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend, all that good stuff. Send us your questions and uh, we'll make sure to, to answer them on air till then. We'll talk to you next week. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.